Very good. Well then, I'm going to bring our panelists up, and uh, I've got some pretty exciting people that are going to meet us today up here. So Martha and Johnny Scyther, Carolyn Frank Andrews, come on up. Julie Davis, Marilyn Olson, come on up. That's perfect. All right. This topic is going to be fun because it's a conversation. And this conversation is really meant to be a dialogue about some of the scripts that we all encounter as it relates to getting older and how we can change those scripts. And these guys have done that in a variety of different ways. Many of you have too, so this will serve to validate what many of you are already doing. Um, and so I'm going to open it up. Um, Martha has a story that was particularly poignant to me. She shared it with us one day here at the Truth Series from the front, and a lot of people didn't get to hear it. So I want her to share it, just to open the dialogue about how words matter and how we see people is different than how we see ourselves sometimes. So Martha, there's our little puppy dog. Tell us the story uh, that about your daughter and Facebook. Well, it starts off with the definition of elderly. I don't think I'm elderly. In fact, I know I'm not elderly. And uh, the pandemic started, and there was a shortage of paper items, as you guys know. And uh, I shared with our uh, daughter, who's got a very tender heart. She's for people and their needs and stuff. And I told her we were having a, a struggle finding some toilet paper. And uh, so the next thing I knew, she was putting it out on Facebook to her friends uh, about this elderly couple <laughs> that was in need of uh, some items. And at first I was going, oh, this is so typical of her because she just reaches out, you know, and stuff. And then the more I read it, the more I realized she was talking about us. <laughs> so my terminology of a definition of elderly is totally different from what her uh, definition is. And how old is your daughter, just, Martha? How old is she? Right now, she is 41. Okay. So someone in their 40s uh, looks at someone in their 70s. 70s. I wasn't going to fill in the blank. I was it's okay. Right. It's yeah. okay. Right? And so I want to show you, your, what's your daughter's name? You don't want to share it? I would. Okay, so your daughter. Look, this is their daughter's elderly dad, by the way, right there, John, who is on a dragon boat down on the Oklahoma River. This was just this past fall yeah. with Spanish Cove's team. And on that boat, Johnny, there are other members of the team that are in what age groups? Uh, the oldest was 92, of the guys, there was a lady that was 94, and then the youngest was me. I was the 72-year-old. Yeah, but in your daughter's eyes, elderly is what came to mind, right? You guys get it? So, so I had her share that story because how many of you see yourselves as elderly? You don't have to show your hands. But most of us, it doesn't matter our age, if we're active and we're out there, we don't see ourselves as elderly, right? So, uh, Marilyn, you and I talk a lot about how words matter, right? And talk a little bit about the words and the scripts that you hear out there and what, 
be really honest. You're, you're bold like I am. Just say what you're thinking when it comes to words like elderly and old. And what kind? What's kind of one of your pet peeves? Stinking thinking. Stinking thinking. I think that uh, if I change the language about myself, that'll help others. I have a 41 year old daughter, also Martha, and uh, she's coming around. Even this morning, she was the one that sent me some of those uh, information. She's keeping me on track. So. My pet peeve is people that say things they don't really mean, like, I'm having an Alzheimer's moment. That's ridiculous. I'm not having an Alzheimer's moment. I have not been tested. I do not, you know, I'm, I'm fully functioning. Uh, and so we have opportunities to help ourselves be the best we can be and help others think that. Uh, were there others that I mentioned? I can't remember. Well, I think when you... <laughs> are you having a senior? Are you having a senior moment? time-wise, and I have so much in my Rolodex, I need you to help me pull it up. <laughs> we did not rehearse that, so I was not prepared. Well, I'm trying to say what you want me to say, so help me. Oh, that was wonderful. Okay, so the senior moment thing, that when people say that... It's not true. It's not true. It's true. I just, I have a lot of things going on right now. I have a lot of history. I'm really proud of it. And that does not mean I'm losing it. It just means I need a minute to recall it, just like my computer, who buffers all the time. I'm buffering. You're buffering. Okay. Write that one down. That's a nugget. And by the way, you have a handout at your table, and you feel free to make notes on that. But we gave you some action items. So one belief on your on your handout that you might look at is what what phrases am I using that are not productive for me, right? Like because we I don't know about you, I believe in the law of attraction. What you put out there is what you attract. Right? Precisely. Precisely. So if you say things like I'm having an Alzheimer's moment, then really what you're saying is I'm looking for things that validate that I might have Alzheimer's. Well, that's not what we should be focusing on, right? So, um, Frank, let me have you jump in there on this conversation. We talked about elderly, and I've got this slide up there about <laughs> defining old, right? And kind of the youngest old and the middle old and the old old, as academics put it. And you guys heard me say this last month, I get irritated because that, those textbooks are so outdated. But 65 to 74, they call the youngest old. The middle old, they call 75 to 90, I'm um, sorry, to 84. And then 85 and older, they call the uh, oldest of old. And so Frank, Frank had a different way of saying this that I thought was kind of interesting. Well, we had, we've got some friends in Texas that gave us a picture of retirement. Yeah. And they, they wrap it up in three stages of retirement. You have your go-go years, your slow-go years, and then your no-go years. And I think that I've got a 98-year-old uncle, well, he passed away last year at 99, but at 98, I still think he was in his go-go years. Yeah. And I think that's the, it's, it's what we do with, with, with the time that we have. Right, so there are really no ages attached to that. And that's that's my issue, is why are we attaching ages to those ranges, Jeff? Marilyn? It's a decision. And I, too, am going to be a go-go girl all my life. <laughs> in fact, I'm going to be used up the whole way because that's, that's why I'm here. And so it would be a shame to waste that, you know. I don't want to wake up dead some morning and not having used everything that I have been given. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the age thing real quick as a group here. So whether people are 
65 or 105, what you guys talked about this on our preparation call. What is the definition of elderly to you guys? Frank, you want to start or Carol, whichever? Well, I think of elderly as the ones who are immobile and can't do anything. Okay, the no-go years. Yeah, the no-go years. Okay, and do you see that word elderly as being a negative word or just a, a descriptor when someone is in that stage of life? I think it's how people perceive it when they hear it. Okay. So yeah. if somebody called me elderly, I, I would not appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> would you correct them? Let me ask you. Would you no, no, that's not my personality. <laughs> she would not correct that. Okay, because remember, I, you know, I talked about my dad going to the doctor's office one day, and he he asked me to attend with him so that I could listen from a different perspective. And the doctor said, "I'm going to prescribe you this particular drug." And the dosage for elderly people is X. Now my dad was 70 at the time, and I looked at her and looked at him and looked back at her and I said, but he's not elderly. And she said, well, according to our charts, he is. And I said, well, when did he start being elderly? And she said, at 65. Now, if your doctor calls you elderly because that's the way that they prescribe drugs, how do you react to that, both outwardly and inwardly? Um, yeah, Martha, you want to take this one? Yeah. I just went to the doctor. And uh, I told her, because uh, she, she's going by her little charts and stuff, and I said, there's one definition I do not like of a word, elderly. And she looked at me and I said, I'm older, yes, but I'm still an active older. And I said, I don't want you to put me in that chart of elderly yet. I'm not there. I haven't rested out. <laughs> nice. How did they respond? How did you she, she was glad. She said, well, good. Go for it. That's the way I, I want to hear you talking like that. Because she said, the more active you are in each day, the more we will see you deteriorating. Right. Wonderful. Okay. Johnny, you want to take it? Um, talk a little bit about elderly and how you see it. Well, a lot of times when you go to the doctor, they say, well, because you're this age, you need to be on this medication. Well, I go, why? And what do I need to do to not be on that medication that I'm not doing? Or like cholesterol, when you have a borderline high cholesterol, but your age, you should be on this. I say, well, I'll change my attitude and I'll get out and walk more and I'll eat better food try to improve that and then come back and then we'll see where I'm at instead of, oh, okay, because old people take this, I'm supposed to take this. So I don't like that attitude of because you're a certain age, you have to be on a certain medication. You know, it was very telling to me uh, when I was a therapist working in a nursing community and all the patients that I met with were on antidepressants. And I asked the charge nurse about this. I said, you know, I, I'm looking at all these different charts and every single person is on an antidepressant. And they said, it's standard practice. When they move in here, everyone gets put on an antidepressant. Now this has been 10 years ago, 15 now. Okay, Chris is saying 20, sorry, my bad. So 
time flies. It's one of those moments where, I, Nikki, I updated my kitchen. It's recently updated. Well, when was recent? 1975. Okay, got it. All right. So, so, but the whole medication thing. So, Johnny, having been a dentist and before that a med tech, do people have the right to tell their doctor that they don't want to take something or that they want a different alternative? Sure, it's your life. You should be in charge of your life and not let people tell you what you have to be on or what you have to do. Uh, you know, it, it's your prerogative to enter into interact with your physician and tell them, well, this is what I'm capable of, let me try this. Now, you may fail utterly and still be on the medication, but at least you try it. Otherwise, you're just on the medication. And as a, as a dentist and seeing patients, I'd ask for their health history and I'd get their medication list and I'd go, why are you on this? And they go, I don't know. The doctor just told me I needed it. And that's not the way you should live your life is because the doctor told you you needed this and you didn't ask questions. You should find out why you're on that medication. And is there something you can change in your lifestyle that might make you not need to be on that medication before you're on that medication? Okay. Julie, speak to that a little bit as it relates to your dad and, and your father-in-law, your mom. You guys have been dealing with lots of family health issues over the years. Right. Well, I will, um, just in, in some of the, the sharing, um, one of the things that I was really grateful, a conversation that happened with my parents really early on, um, I was, I don't even know if I was 40 at the time, but, so, um, but I had an occurrence in the community I was working in listening to one of my residents talk about a situation, and so I took that situation and I took it home, and I talked to my parents about it, and I said, so here's the deal. If you have a physician that says that, well, that's just age-related, or it's because you're old, then you need to find a new doctor. Because that's not that's not a diagnosis. That's a mindset. Right? So they've already and we had that conversation when my parents were perfectly healthy. There was zero wrong with them. But I said, if they tell you that you know, it's different if it's as we age, our hearing starts to decline or our vision starts to decline, or you may have some joint issues, that's age related in that your body is succumbing to gravity, but not, well, I don't know what to tell you, that's just old age, sucks to be old, right? right? Yeah. That's a mentality. Right. So we had that conversation early on. Um, my father-in-law with that family, um, those conversations really didn't happen. We, we wouldn't, they were very private. They didn't talk about anything. And so that, um, trickled down years later into a problem where we couldn't have conversations because we didn't set the stage, yeah. so to speak. So I, my encouragement is just is to, is to be as open as you can um, and be open-minded yourself to the stinking thinking. You know, when you say, you know, oh, I'm just so forgetful, you're preoccupied. That's not forgetful. You got a lot going on. like with my dad you and I've talked about this we're we're both in positions where we're not caregivers we're support people right and there's a difference between uh, being a support person for someone and being in charge of their care 
And so having those conversations, so like with my dad, him, him saying, I'm in charge, Nikki, if I don't want to do this, I'm not going to do it. It's like, okay, I'm, as long as you're informed, I'm fully supportive of that, what can I do to help? Um, but it's sometimes hard to do that, right? Marilyn, um, we talked a little bit about how uh, you have some friends, uh, and mutual friends, that are towards the end of their life uh, with terminal diagnoses. Um, and you mentioned that one of the scripts we can change about life is how we see death and how we approach death. So talk a little bit about that, if you would, please. I think you're referring to my special friend who uh, is living her life in the last stages just like she's lived all along. Early on, uh, I've chosen to live with joy and purpose, and uh, that's really what it's all about. And so when she went to the doctor, having a problem, couldn't find what it was. She said, when she called me, said, I'm so excited because now I have a name for it. I know what it is. And the doctor said, okay, so you need to go on chemo and radiation and all this. And she said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna live my life fully and better. And she said, okay, then you need to go in the hospital. She said, okay, let's do it right now. So within hours, she had activated because she had already been thinking about exactly how she wanted to go out. So she's continuing just like she always has. And that is what is so attractive. That's what I want to be. I want to be attractive until the very last moment because then that gives hope to the younger generation. So the 41-year-olds will know how to do this well yeah. and find their own purpose. So that's a, that's a script that is running out there. I'm going to contend that part of our healthcare challenge, part of getting attracting medical people into the healthcare world and into senior living has to do with their perception of aging. Would you agree with that, to a degree? And, and their, uh, their lack of understanding of the, the complete cycle of life. And yeah. I could, I've mentioned the sure. book that you've mentioned many times. Uh, if you've not read it, or perhaps it's time to reread it, would be Being Mortal by Tukwande. And it also is a documentary. So if you're not a big reader, uh, or as one gentleman told me, my daughter needs to read this, but she'll never read that. So uh, on YouTube, you can see the hour-long documentary that's just fascinating how one young doctor realized that he didn't know everything. And what he found out was that what mattered in the end was what was really important, because that way today important. Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, G-A-W-A-N-D-E, yeah, for sure. Uh, so what other scripts are you guys breaking? In other words, what other narratives are you changing? Uh, Frank, you talked about on, your, on our prep call about you guys downsizing recently to uh, Bradford Village and how that was kind of surprising to some of your friends. Talk a little bit about that and how that came across. Well, we had, uh, we had been looking, we've been coming to these seminars series for three or four years before we made the decision and I don't think we were really ready at the time but we had visited and toured all the different facilities and we kind of narrowed it down to a couple of them that we really liked and uh, we, we ended up going to Bradford Village and uh, touring the place because they had some availability which is, was nice to have at the time and we found one that we really liked at a, a cottage and, and Personally, I was looking for something that was not an apartment. Uh, we did that in our early years, and I think that was enough for a while. Because <laughs> I'm still in my go-go years. Right. Yeah. And so we, uh, but as we were driving away and, and thinking about the, the place that we just saw, we decided that 
if we didn't get it now, somebody else would get it, then, then we wouldn't have that chance. So all of a sudden, we had to move, and within a matter of months, we had sold the house and packed up and, and moved into Bradford Village. About, but we moved right in the middle of COVID. COVID yeah. yeah, so it was, uh, we weren't really ready for it, but now that we've done it, we've just been very pleased about it. Yeah. The friends, you're going to have, I don't know how to put it that way, but you got friends who are saying, well, you're not old enough to do that, you know. Right. And I, I go back to my 99-year-old uncle that uh, he's in California in his mid-70s, he and his wife chose to move into an assisted living while they could still enjoy it. Independent living. I get those backs up. I'm sorry, yeah. They moved into a cottage in a, in a, in a continuous care retirement community in, a, in their mid-70s, and in, at 98, they decided it was time to move into assisted living. And you know, and it was, that's why I just- Because they moved into their slow-go years. That's they, yeah, 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 he actually, he turned in his, his lease car and his wife said, I think we're gonna get another one. And, and he turned to me and he says, I think we'll try Uber for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Good, yeah, so he didn't stop going. He did not stop he going. He just changed his mode of of transportation yeah. a and, and, and I think the people that now see us in a retirement community, they see the stuff that we're doing. I think we're more active now than we were two years ago. Really? So I think it's been, been fine. I, I, well, we, we were active. How many, how many board retirees do we know? I bet everybody knows at least one or two. Right. I'm sorry, I even retired, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've got to write job descriptions for the four volunteer jobs that I'm doing right now. Right. So it's it, 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 yeah. your choice what you got to do. It was fun to watch because over the holidays, uh, you know, people that lived in communities had were posting on their social media pages all about the parties they were going to and the parades and the decorations and stuff. And, uh, Frank and Carol, we follow them on Facebook, and they were posting. They were also reposting stuff that Melissa was posting. And anyway, I, I I watched underneath the comments, and you could tell there were a few of their friends that were surprised, and maybe following them. And one particular friend, I I'll, I'll add the voice inflection. The way I read it was, seriously, you guys moved to a retirement community, <laughs> right? That's the way I read it. And he replied, you know, yes, we moved, and so on and so forth. But it, it's a little bit surprising to people when they hear that. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It, it, and and there's a, the local people now see why we did it, and, and <clears throat> some of we've been thinking about doing the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Martha, you and Johnny are also kind of in that same mode. And you, you've mentioned to me that, um, that people are telling you you're not old enough to do that, right? Well, what's your response to them when they say that? How do you deal with that? I tell them that after we looked at all the places, because I've been going to the seminars for five years now, and I have learned so much, but I've looked at all the different places, and about mm, two and a half years ago, I was ready. I was thought, you know, downsizing would be good and stuff. Johnny was not, because he had not officially retired, retired. Right. And um, so when, our friends have found out, or friends of our um, children's uh, adult, their family, and so their comments are, "I can't believe y'all doing that." You know, you're re you're going to a senior living, independent living, and I look look at them. I said, "You have not looked at the calendar." I said, "We will probably be." trying to not select everything so we're not coming home 
exhausted. <laughs> I said, but Johnny just loved it when he said, I can be part of the paddle boat dragon team. Right. And he was, and I was cheerleader last. I walked up and down the uh, banks as they were paddling up and down practicing and stuff. So, so yeah. it's really just an exciting time, really. Yeah. And so you're just educating them then about what what it really is versus what they think it is in their mind, which is you're going to the old folks' home, right? That's what they think, right? You're going to the old folks' home. Uh, <laughs> I forgot where I was going to go with that. So, uh, oh, Carol, Carol, I wanted to give you the mic because I wanted I wanted you to speak to again. We're breaking narratives here, right? We're breaking narratives, and you had. Um, the, the care of your parents. It was your responsibility to help as they got older. And you and Frank have referred to that experience as being one of the things that helped you decide what you would do differently. You want to speak to that a little bit and how that you broke that script of what your parents did versus what you're doing? Sure. Uh, Frank and I had our careers in Texas for 36 years and then we retired and we moved back to Yukon. And we were in Yukon at Surrey Hills for 10 years. And during that time, my sister and I were caregiving for both of our parents. Well, when they passed, one in 2018 and one in 2019, Frank and I had this discussion about uh, we didn't want our kids to have to do what my sister and I did because my parents, well, we just had to do an awful lot um, to help them. So um, we'd been coming to these seminars and we had been visiting around and um, we decided we wanted to be the ones to make the choice. We didn't want our kids to have to make choices like I had to make, my sister and I had to make for our parents. So that was, that was why we chose to go to Bradford Village was because we wanted it to be our choice. We had discussions with both of our children, adult children, um, and they were very agreeable. Yeah. And so you told me on the phone that you, this gave you a peace of mind. Would you describe what that means to you, peace of mind? Well, for one thing, the peace of mind was mainly that if something happens to Frank and he's gone, or something happens and I go first, we are already in a community. We are already established. We don't have to sell a home. We have support, and we have activities, and... We have widows and widowers that know what we're going through that will give us support as well. So you've broken the mold on the downsizing piece, which a lot of people in their your parents' age didn't have the options you guys have. I mean, uh, they may have had some options, but not nearly as many options, right? Right. Um, or may not have had the finances to do it as well, right? Financially, they weren't as uh, capable of this. But the other thing um, is also just preparedness. Um, Julie, I would like for you, if you don't mind, speak to this. I know we've talked about legal documents, financial documents, retirement planning. Um, how important is that in terms of, and how have you and your family broken the mold of <laughs> getting ready for the hard things? Right. So um, I'm very grateful, and I've shared this story. Some of y'all may have, you know, have heard this, but. Um, my, my parents were had a good model. My my grandfather set up a trust before he passed, and my, so my mom and dad did the same. 
Um, not saying that everyone has to have a trust, but I am saying that they were early in their decision to plan ahead. And so they met with the attorneys, they sat down with us, they said, okay, this is our book, this has got everything in it, this is where everything is, and I raised my hand. I said, Daddy, this is great. I said, first off, thank you. This is a gift. Thank you for trying to take care of us, for trying to make sure that we don't have to incur heartache on top of loss, and we're so grateful to you for what you've done here. But here's my question. What if I can't unplug you? And he looked at me, he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, this is real clear on what your wishes are. Like, I get it. I understand what my directives are. If you have a situation where it's life-threatening, I know what you want. But what if you just decline in age? What do you want? That's not in this book. There's no page in this trust book that tells me what you want. While you're living. While you're living, yeah. It tells me what to do if your dad and mom is alive and vice versa, and it tells me what you want as far as your wishes are concerned about being sustained in life, but that's it. So permission to speak freely, can we have that conversation? Oh my you, what do you think I've got a foot in the grave? Blah, 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 right? Okay, so if you have it, then you're morbid, and if I have it, then I've got, I think you've got a foot in the grave, right? So can we all agree that this is just a yucky conversation, but we're gonna have it and get it over with? <laughs> yeah. So, and that worked fairly, very well. Well, so fast forward 20, probably 20 years, maybe 25 years, my very healthy dad who played golf four days a week, took college classes, volunteered, it, Meals on Wheels, did all of that, was diagnosed with a stage four brain tumor and was gone in 10, in 10 months. Just like that. But because we had planned and because we had talked as a family, we knew what the plan was. Nobody plans to have a brain tumor. But when life happens, your circumstances don't define you. So if you've got that game plan in place and you've had these hard conversations when there was no emotion tied to it because there was no situation to deal with, then you at least have some framework. And you may go back. Well, I mean, it's, you may change your mind, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, well, in 20 years, you can. Exactly. Yeah, and then, Absolutely. In that period of time, there may right. be lots of changes. I think, you know, I remember having these hard conversations with you when you were going through this towards the end, and it was what gave you and your family the strength to say, when Dad was confused and wasn't really making decisions as well, that we're going to go ahead and take him to this, was it a golf tournament? Wasn't yes. It? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Because that's what he said he wanted to do, regardless of his circumstances. If able, he wanted to go to this. Right. So my dad, as I said, was an avid golfer. And those of you who are familiar with Rose Creek and the um, uh, Graves Golf Academy, if any of you, if any of you are familiar with that, um, he this is something he wanted to do, and he signed up for it prior to having being diagnosed with a brain tumor. And he really wanted to go. And my mom and I really struggled because your first instinct is to want to protect. But we realized, not in the book, right? Not in the, not in the description of don't you know don't plug me up, right? Is um, this is how I want to live my life? We thought, well, if he goes out playing golf, that's what he wants to do, right? And who are we to say he can't? So. We just made sure that we had things in place. We talked to the academy. They knew his situation, and they were fantastic. 
it was like Make-A-Wish. They just did everything they could to make that the best experience for my dad. And yeah, yeah, so grateful. So grateful, yeah. yeah. Thank you for sharing yeah, sure. Marilyn, um, I want to talk a little bit about community. Uh, Martha brought it up, and then Carol mentioned it as well. Um, how important it is, and how, like Frank said, how many people that are bored, that are retired, do we know? They're bored. Not only bored, but also isolated. Like, yeah, not building a community. So talk a little bit about personally and professionally from a village's standpoint, how important community is, and how some of the people are breaking that mold as well. Well, at Villages, we connect people who live in their own homes and are in the process of making some of these decisions. And uh, we have the gift workshop that we go through to help us have those conversations. And uh, all of that is a part of it because you do need to keep learning. I appreciated Martha saying five years, you know, that it takes a while to, to kind of turn the ship around and, and think differently and reprogram. You know, we have a plan for uh, grade school to college, uh, to high school to college and career and all that. And what we're doing, the new ground we're breaking is that we are creating a plan for in this, this six section of life and writing that book. Um, the surprise whenever your friends ask you about moving to a retirement community is no different than the surprise of friends who say, what, she's old enough to go to college? You know, it's the same, same emotion. Yeah. And so we have to put that in perspective. So what we're doing at Villages is giving us time to educate and plan and serve uh, each other and, and the community in those, in those opportunities. So I've got to meet new people all across Greater Oklahoma City, have friends in this room that I never would have had before, and um, that learning is good, those new friends are good, it's expanding my world uh, rather than narrowing my world. Yeah. So it, um, it is a, it's a fresh time to look at things. One parallel for me is a special friend who is 17, broke his neck on the football field, and he's having to redefine his life too. So he could say, it's over, or you're handicapped, but he's not. He's saying, well, I'll make the most of it, because that's what he always did. So that's what we're doing, is we're saying, we're going to not deny where we are, and the aging and all that. We're trying to be wise, but we have a mind, we can think, and we don't need everyone to tell us exactly what to put me in a box because I'm unique and I get to I get to decide that so I love this time because there are no limits and there's no stopping us and our goal is to work with these sponsors these partners in education and Nikki with uh, leadership to change all of greater Oklahoma City so that this will be the best place in the world to, to grow older well excitedly uh, with with vigor and purpose because that's why we're here, and what a great, what a great opportunity in a great state. I just, I can't tell you how excited I am. Oh yeah, All right, so I've got a couple more areas. Uh, I had asked you guys if you had thoughts on uh, a few things in the questions that I sent you about. You know, are there any pet peeves you have that you would like to have people reframe? Are there any things people say that really bug you that you wish people would quit saying? Kind of like Marilyn said, you know, I've had a senior moment or Alzheimer's moment. Um, any misconceptions out there that we want to make sure the world knows? Or any headlines or media publications, things like that, that we see that we wish people would do differently? Did you guys have anything you wanted to add in any of those areas? Or did I cover them all? Yeah. It speaks to that a little bit. Um, I think if we're going to change the narrative, it starts with each of us. Absolutely. Right? 
And just like Marilyn was saying about the stinking thinking and calling yourself out and reframing the way you speak and the way you think, but I was thinking about the conversations that you guys were sharing about your peers saying, you're moving to a retirement community, really? Or you're too old, you're that old, or you know, whatever their comments were that were totally inappropriate, um, <laughs> in my opinion. Um, um, but I think that it, that's the moments when we have an opportunity to say, you know, it's interesting you say that. How old do you think you should be? Make them answer that. Well, I don't know. You're just not old enough. Okay. Tell me. Because every physician we have, every peer we have, everybody we run in contact with has a perspective based on their experience. So that if they lost all of their parents, I mean their grandparents, before they were even five years old, they don't have a frame of reference for what an older person can look like and thrive like. But if they have a 99-year-old grandmother who's still playing golf, then they're like, no, you're not old. Because they have this perspective, right? That's right. So, and each of us have perspectives. Because I've been so blessed to work in this industry for 14 years, I've had the most amazing examples Right. of what aging should look like. And so I have a completely different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Right. And you. it's also an opportunity to teach. Yeah. Teach the young ones because they don't really know. They are afraid <clears throat> of what's ahead. That's why they give each other cards at age 40 that say you're over the hill. I mean, how ridiculous is that? They just barely have woken up. They're not even to the bottom of the hill. No, no. So personally, I'm going to change. My goal is before I pass on is I'm going to change the Hallmark cards. I've got a contact there. I'm working on them to think differently. All they know is what they say. You know, and we've had people making dumb remarks all, all throughout our lives. I mean, when I was pregnant, they would look at me and say, you know, well, you look like you're about to pop. Well, what a stupid thing to say. <laughs> we need to help people say, and we have to give them the words they don't know. I had to give my children the words. This is what you say when they, you know. And so you, we have to educate them. So we're here to learn and to help each other, uh, teach each other. That's our purpose. And uh, that way, we'll, we'll get the respect that we need at, at some due time. But in the meantime, we have a lot of work to do. Well, and I think what I see and what I hear, first of all, I love that, yeah. And you know, I have a friend, that I, a lady I coach and a friend who she said last week, she said, Nikki, I dread the conversation when I talk with someone that I haven't met in a long time, or seen in a long time, rather, and they ask me, are you in a relationship yet? Well, she's in her 50s, and she hasn't been married before, and she said, they think I'm gay first, and then she said, once we're over that hump, which she said, I don't really care, she said, then they want to know, well, am I dating? And I'm like, so have you ever asked them, is this really any of your business? <laughs> right? And the, so, I mean, and I said, so what happens is, in her mind, she dreads having conversations with people she hasn't talked to in a long time, because those questions, as you say, stupid questions, people are asking out of curiosity. They don't mean any ill will by it, right, when they say it. But what I think I love about what this conversation has said to me is that we've got to be in charge of educating people on the better questions to ask or on when you ask that question, do you understand how that sits with me, right? Um, and who you surround yourself with will determine that. I think there's a business thing, I don't know if one of you guys remember this or not, where you are the, basically you are the, the equivalent of the five people you associate with most closely. 
guys remember that? I forget which motivational speaker said that. Like, so if you're hanging out with five people who act elderly, if you will, right, then guess what? You're going to have a tendency to act the way those people act. Now, I'm not talking about if you're visiting people in the nursing community or if you have someone you're caring for. I'm talking about socially, like who you hang out with socially. Yeah. Which is why villages exist, because I have dear friends that I care about at my church, in my neighborhood, but honestly, they're not helping me grow and pushing me. And so villages is a group of like-minded folks who are wanting to reach out and, and, just, and just stretch this model a little bit. And I think, um, in fact, I would invite all of you to respond to Nikki. We are working, our dream would be to develop a dictionary, a dictionary of new words for positive thinking, joy-filled, mature people to we want to say it correctly. And so we're, we're halfway through that. We yeah. would welcome any kind of input that you have. We're also putting in that words not to say. And of course, right. that's right. how come I've thought about some of that. So I think um, I, I'm responsible for what goes in my eyes and what goes in my ears because that affects what I think. And I'm going to choose that, which is why I've made some choices in what uh, we allow in our home and, and, and uh, on the media and so forth. I want to add to that. I, pulled, I put this slide up there that says giving control back to its rightful owner. So Martha, like your daughter, I know she's very supportive and loving, and she's not trying to take over your lives at all, right? Her, her elderly comment was just a perspective, right, from her age group. David Soley, in this book he wrote uh, back in 2003, I think, one of the chapters is titled Give, Give Control Back to Its Rightful Owner. The book is written for both professionals and adult children with people that uh, with, who have aging parents, who have elderly parents. And his book even refers to elderly, which really bothers me a lot. But um, one thing he says is that we have got to allow people to live their lives. And this is one of the challenges I had during COVID was they were saying, you know, vulnerable elderly people over the age of 65 need to wear masks. Think about that for a second. I'm not vulnerable, I'm viable. So a lot of us have a visceral reaction to that statement, and I think it's because they put an age with it, right? It wasn't because they said vulnerable, vulnerable makes sense, but then they attached an age to it. So at what point do you get to control what you do and don't do and how you do it? And then the question is, are you educating yourself or are you letting the media educate you? Or are you letting the politicians educate you? Or are you letting someone else besides yourself educate you about what you need to do? Like Johnny said with the medical side of it, right? Who gets to be in charge of you? Um, so I'm gonna put these up there and then uh, we're gonna talk through just real quick and then I'll take comments from the audience. But we have to have the microphone to do that so everybody can hear. So Jake, you guys wanna do some mic running here in a minute? Yeah. Oh, there you are. Um, okay. So I, I put up here breaking news. Uh, comments real quick from you guys, if you have any, on the topic of focusing on life learning as breaking the mold. When should people stop going to classes? Never. Never stop. Okay. I Always just asked learning. you that question, too, because uh -huh. I thought, well, are we going to be out of that cycle and I thought, you know, things are still changing. And you answered the question, oh, keep on coming because right. we have people that have been coming for right. years. Five, six, seven yeah. years now. This will be seven years. So the question that she had was, now that we've downsized, 
uh, can we keep coming to the truth series? And I'm like, well, first off, the truth series is not about downsizing. I mean, we talk a lot about downsizing, but it's about staying active, and it's about getting answers to questions, whether it's downsizing or other topics. So yes, always keep coming. What about taking proactive measures? Did anybody want to add anything about that, being proactive? We cover it. And then what about negative stereotypes? If you could change one stereotype about your specific age group, what would it be? Or life circumstance? No? Tell me, I'm going to ask the question about what retired means. Frank, could you define what retired means to you? Um, no, I'm putting you on the spot. You're not talking. What does retired mean? Think off the cuff for me. Uh, retired to me was just starting to do things and staying busy that we like to do and we choose to do. There we go. That's and, what and, I was yeah. Yeah. I would, what would I do differently as a retiree? The only thing that came to my mind was uh, two and a half, three years ago, I picked up pickleball. Right. <sighs> I wish I'd have done it 15 years ago. I mean, and I'm playing sometimes with 90-year-old people that are still playing pickleball now. And it's it started off as a family thing, went to retirees, and now they've got a, a pro tour. I'm not going to go on the pro tour, but, <laughs> but Why not? I do play three or four times a week. I, I, I actually retired from competition because I was in one tournament and we wanted I could I could retire undefeated. <laughs> I'm still thinking about that. So hang on, before you pass that off, you said you had four volunteer dogs. Yes. So one of them is, is pickleball one of them? Are you considering that well, one I, of them? I, I coordinate the church pickleball activities there. Okay, yeah. The other one is uh, we, we're we both involved in the uh, uh, Stephen Ministry Program, which is good in, in many churches in the Oklahoma City area. It's out of, out of uh, St. Louis. And for the last 20 years, we've been very active since retiree. We actually became, uh, got invited to go to their conferences and help them set it up and run background stuff and tear it down type stuff. So that's another one. I was a, uh, I'm an unpaid consultant for uh, ESCO here in Oklahoma City, which is uh, dealing with nonprofits and their, their directors and their board of directors and helping them strategize future uh, finances and all that stuff. Uh, oh, I got elected as vice president of our executive council at Bradford Village. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but I woke up one day and I was in. Yes. <laughs> and, and so I'll, I'll think of the other ones down the line. That's because uh, people like Melissa and Julie and Jill, they're really good. They're really good at getting you guys that are uh, at the top of your go-go game involved really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, the other one was I'm, I'm, I'm the uh, branch counselor volunteer job for a, a company called Forrester's Financial. And it's uh, it's helping people that have policies know what their policies are for. Does he sound retired to you guys? <laughs> right? That's what I mean when I say retirement looks very different. It's, it's what we choose to do, though. It's what, yeah, right. Uh, Johnny, you and Martha, uh, talk a little bit about what retirement has been for you. Because you I know at least two things you're doing actively. Well, uh, part of my hesitancy to think about wanting to downsize or even to move to a retirement community was I had started a new what I thought was going to be a hobby was since I did dentistry I didn't really want to do dentistry and I really didn't feel like I wanted to retire and to do that and so I thought well I'll just 
thin wire and do that because that sounds like fun. I'd like to do that. So I took a lesson and they said, well, you're kind of a little bit more of a shoe in for this. You already kind of understand wire a little bit. So I started doing that. So my job then became to do wire every day. And I had set up a room to do my wire work in and make jewelry. And uh, Martha was going to the seminars. And so I went a couple of times and I went, oh my gosh, this is about learning stuff because I thought I had learned everything about <laughs> aging because I'd been through her mom and dad and my dad going into assisted living and nursing care. And so I thought I knew everything. Well, things change. And my dad always told me, oh, I'll know exactly when I need to do something about my situation. Well, at 84, he didn't know, have any idea he needed assistance with that. But my options were zero at age 84 with no prior planning. And same thing happened with Martha's dad. He had the forethought to think about it and went ahead and went into a retirement community. And Martha and I, over the next 15 to 20 years, thought about who do we want to make those decisions for us? And we decided we did. We didn't want someone else or situation to dictate what circumstance we would then have an option for. We wanted to have our options ahead of time planned and looked at and thought about. So when Martha was thinking about moving, I was going, I don't want to move. I got a room. I got a place. I'm doing this. I'm enjoying this. This is what I want to do. And one of the visits that we had gone on, I was talking with the person at the retirement community and I said, you know, I'd really like to be here, but I don't want to give up my job, even though it's not really a job, it's fun. And she said, well, we want you to be active. That's the key thing with your retirement is you're learning, you're getting educated, you're, you're doing things, you're coming to the seminars, you're hearing. She said, you know, we could probably find a place for your work to go on. And I thought, that's what aging is, is just doing what you're doing, enjoying what you're doing, but do it where you have community with people that support you and let you keep doing what you're doing and enjoying. And so our thoughts then became, now we can kind of, I can kind of take control of that part of my life and we can move somewhere where I can still do what I do and enjoy doing and Martha can enjoy what she does and what she enjoys doing. We'll just change location. And that made it a little bit easier for me to think about moving because I was able to keep doing what I was already doing. Yeah. And you're doing that together with your daughter, am I understanding that correctly? Yes. Yeah, I started out with my daughter and so she can come and help we do the work there. So it's a it's just the same thing it would have been in our one room in our house. We have a little area in the uh, not in the apartment where we'll be, but in the community they have a uh, art room which they said that fits perfect because you're an artist. So you can just put your little art design area right in there and you work with it. So it was an opportunity for us to just keep doing what we were doing, but me being retired to be able to. Won't be long, Johnny, before you'll be teaching classes out there. You realize that, right? I might be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, Jill, you know that's coming, right? Yeah, right. Uh, I want to I end with uh, Marilyn, speak a little bit. Marilyn, you're not retired yet. Um, for all intents and purposes, not just villages you've got going on. So you and your husband both still very active and, and working. What does that look like for you? 
Well, we have uh, our own business, and uh, it is very flexible. It always has been, so this is nothing changed. It just, it's like I said, just change locations sometimes, you know, which is a lot like death. You just change locations. I'm going to be who I'm going to be, you know. So just, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm around for eternity. Um, as far as what we do, we have a business that uh, installs, uh, so I sell and he installs uh, equipment that can help uh, handicap and hospitals. And so uh, we're able to adjust the hours and adjust uh, what we do and how often we do it. And, and with the internet, it's really made that possible. So I don't see for us ever retiring because um, I need to be productive and this is, this is one way to do that. So I've met fabulous people in the process and learned a lot. And uh, uh, so I'm- It's not required that you retire. I'm not you said somebody said something to your husband one it, day. It's, well, retirement is not biblical for one thing, but somebody said to my husband, why do you keep doing that? I mean, when are you going to quit? And I said, you stop saying that. I mean, this guy was 20 years younger, saying that to my husband, who's in his late 70s, and he's just doing great. And why would you want to stop doing what you're doing great? You know, he loves it. He's helping people. And, and people from, you know, clients from 10 years ago in Arkansas called him and, and he helps them and they pay him and send home eggs and they have this conversation and obviously, who would want to quit that, you know? So uh, if it flicks your bit, keep doing it, you know? And so for us, it works well and we it, 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 it can be adjusted to meet the needs of the day. So when we need to keep Ruby, we have the flexibility to do that. And when we have opportunities to help his mother, then we have an opportunity to do that. So it, it fits us. It's not for everybody, but I'm not everybody. That's right. Amen to that, right? Yeah. You're not everybody. You're you. You do you. Then I like me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I want to keep being me. Yeah. I, I'm starting to learn to like being me, too. Right? Yeah. I think that happens at a certain age, too. Right? If we can teach the world to be happy in their own skin, yeah. we will have contributed a lot. I like it. Okay. So I'm going to take, first of all, let's take a major, I want to do a major applause for this audience up here. So we could, like to add you're just thinking to yourself you know what I heard lots of things here that I could share um, as well yes ma'am Jake's gonna bring you the mic and you just hold it kind of close so that we can hear you okay we're just talking about growing older there is I found it uh, a couple years ago growing is awesome I've seen that growing yep and something I found on YouTube uh, a week ago is Exercise is medicine, and this one gentleman has a book, Exercise Cure, Jordan, M-E-T-Z-L. That's awesome, because I was a real instructor. And um, when you was talking about doctors, my young doctor came in and broke my collarbone, and he's really nice. And I looked at him and says, don't look at my birth certificate. Talk to me like a real human being. Oh, uh, good for you. so mad. Uh, yeah. You can do that. I told my MD that, too. And a cute little saying is, old age is the only disease you can catch right by imitating its symptoms. Oh, say that again. Oh, that's what I'm saying again. Oh, old age is the only disease you can catch by imitating its symptoms. Yeah. Go into a nursing home and walk back out and see what happens to you. Amazing. Yeah. Powerful. 
Thank you for sharing that. Back here, Jake. Come back. I've worn my warned my family and friends that I'm currently I'm officially now a geriatric hippie because I didn't get to be one when it was in vogue. So I did. That's awesome. I'm geriatric hippie, and I'm waiting for it to become an EMD, which is an electronic Miss Daisy, because I understand there's going to be self-driving cars, and so I can get in the car and tell it to go, and I can sit there and and I get to go. So I'm going to have to live long enough. To have an EMD. EMD. <laughs> I like it. I love it. All right, you're a village member, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you're spreading the spreading the love there. All right, anybody else? Yes, ma'am. I have a couple of uh, statements. One is a birthday is only a number, and my brain still works. <laughs> my brain still works, and I have used that. And we have a pet peeve about whenever I have prepared uh, information to ask an employee to buy something or to have some lumber cut or something. And they look at Floyd. Yeah. Uh, they look at me. I don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I don't know anything. Floyd said, look at her. And I have said, my brain still works. <laughs> yeah. So let me ask you this. Do you think it's because you're in the scooter or do you yes. think it's because you're female? Or both? Oh. Uh, uh, maybe some both. Okay. Uh -oh. but I, of course, I've noticed it most in a wheelchair. Yeah. But. Uh, how many of you, when you have a walker or a cane or a wheelchair, notice that people treat you differently? <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, almost always. Yeah. Thank you for that. Very good. I'm going to share. Uh, Chris, I don't know what happened to my screens, but um, somewhere it died. Uh, what I wanted to say, share, with you, share with you what she brought me today is this little, uh, what does this look like? Toilet paper. Toilet paper holder, right? You know how we're always talking about repurposing things? She uh, covered this with wallpaper and uh, asked me if I knew what it should be used for. And I, I, I had the fortunate experience of helping someone downsize who used toilet paper rolls that were not nearly as pretty as this one um, to put their cords in, in their drawer, so that they didn't get all messy, right? And so they roll their cords and stick them in here. And then also she's got one in her purse that she folds the edges down on and puts her uh, phone cord in her purse so it doesn't tangle up with everything. This is brilliant. Right? So those of you who are industrious out there, um, there's a business model for this. I'm sure. <laughs> and so, uh, again, and if nothing else, it's also a great little Christmas gift or a little birthday gift or a little stocking stuffer for those of us in, in the world where we throw our toilet paper rolls away. Uh, I may start having my grandkids do that for me. Yeah. All right, good. Any other comments? Yes, back here, Jake. We're going to get your steps in today. Betty's back there in that corner. First, I just wanted to comment the young lady on the end of the panel. Marilyn? Yes. I enjoyed every comment that you shared with us today. That's because you and she are two peas in a pod. <laughs> <laughs> but what I wanted to share, I was in Houston for Christmas, and my daughter was telling me that all of the handicapped stickers you see on the cars does not mean you're handicapped. 
So a lot of the veterans in Houston, well not just the veterans, now have to get a specific document from their doctor that says they are handicapped or disabled. And a symbol is put on the handicapped uh, license plate or something to distinguish them. And so the, they're going to change the type of a handicap stickers that you put in your car. Interesting. And what do you think that's about, Betty? Did you explain? Well, uh, a lot of veterans, you know, they come back with the PSTD and the other alphabets, but they're functional. And so Texas is very good about taking care of their veterans, but they're saying that they're utilizing like handicapped parking spaces when they're really not handicapped. Ah, gotcha. And so that now they're trying to distinguish, do you really need a handicapped sticker? Gotcha. The other thing I noticed is I like it when young people offer to assist you to open the door to carry your bags, that means respect is still in play. So I like that because I, you know, they're kind of bent over because I have degenerative disc disease and I run with the best of them. You know, I don't take my cane unless I'm going uh, a couple of miles. But when it goes to shopping, I can, I can take care of the best of them. You know, yeah. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it, Miss Betty? Because here's the thing I find is that um, as a female, uh, one of the movements out there, the feminist movement, is trying to make women equal with men, right? And the fact is, I like it when someone opens the door for me. I like it when Chris opens my car door when we're going somewhere. I like the, um, the things that go along with being female that show uh, respect or that put me in a position of uh, femininity, femininity, and so there's a double-edged sword. It's like, how can we have it both ways? And ageism is no different, right? How can I show respect to someone who is my elder without making them think I think they're elderly? Does that make sense? And so one of the ways I, I have been told by lots of people, you can tell me if you think I'm right or wrong, is to ask. Yes. Ask people. Would you like some help? Yes or no? Don't assume that they do just because, right? And uh, and I think uh, with the door, holding the door open, that's just common courtesy. You should be doing that for everybody, Dad blasted, right? Like there is no male-female age thing. It's just a common courtesy. But in Oklahoma, it's normal. We're taught to do that as a kid, right? But you go to other states up north, they think that you're a whack job if you stand there too long holding the door open. <laughs> I mean, like, what are you doing? I'm, I'm holding the door open for you. Why? Because that's what we do, <laughs> right? So culturally as well, right? Like you said, Texas is different than Oklahoma. All right, we've got time for a couple more comments or any questions for the audience about their experiences, feel free. Yes, ma'am. I've listened to the uh, panel, and, uh, and the thing that has struck me is that my attitude and my mental attitude in the 70s was a heck of a lot different than it is now that I'm 88. In my 70s, we were traveling Europe. But in the last two years, I had some physical uh, issues, and I have let myself feel old. So I think the main thing I'm gonna take away from today is I need to work on my mental attitude. Good for you. Thank you.
Good for you. You know, we helped uh, a lady move Ms. Lukowski, Helen, back to Concordia, well, it's been four or five years ago now, and she was 97 uh, yeah. when we moved her, 97. She was living in her own home, but she had the mental attitude, uh, she could run circles around anybody at any age. And at 97, she moved to Concordia because she was moving into the slow go stage. Yeah. Frank, right? She had a little more trouble getting around mobility-wise. Moved to Concordia. She was walking five miles a day inside Concordia in the halls, and she was volunteering in the gift shop, and she was reading and volunteering in the long-term care part of the community before she passed away right at almost 100. Almost like Betty White, like just shy of 100. And uh, she, she just was amazing. And I thought, you know, that's the mindset, that's the model. When I'm a younger person in my 50s looking at the models I want to follow, I'm looking at those people who, despite their age, are resilient and doing their best. Not that everyone can, because physically we get, we get stuff. But despite the physical stuff, people are still doing what they do. Yeah, Frank. I was going to say, we, we did give up some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yard mowing, uh, maintenance, house maintenance, insurance. There's a lot of stuff we gave up that we really don't miss at all. <laughs> yeah, but nothing that you do miss, right? Yeah, right. Good, okay. Can we, again, give, uh, we have one more comment. Did you want to comment? Okay, yes, up here, Jake. Hustle, hustle, hustle. Running, running, running. Poor Jake. I'll be brave, I'll be brave. Um, I have a had a condition for about three years and I've seen a lot of medical professionals. I have lots of regard and respect for medical professionals because I'm a retired nurse. But anyway, um, I recently visited a dermatologist and had some skin areas and I asked the dermatologist to, to look at them and the response was afterwards, oh, that's just due to old age. Treat that. <laughs> yeah, just due to old age. Well, just to make you feel any better, um, I got the same exact response from the dermatologist I went to see, and she not only informed me that those were age spots that you're going to have those, but Nikki, the more you sit out in the sun, the more those spots are going to get worse, right? And I said, well, should I come back regularly to have them checked? And she said, well, as long as you're sitting out in the sun, why bother? Why, if, as long as you're going to sit out in the sun, why bother? In other words, I don't want to talk to you if you're going to sit in the sun. And I, okay, okay, I told Chris afterward, I called him and I said, well, I'm done with her. <laughs> right? I mean, I get it, right? But it's like a pulmonologist saying to a smoker, if you keep smoking, I'll no longer see you. Right? I, I won't see you. It's like, I know it's a bad habit, <laughs> but be nice, right? Can we tell people to tell the doctors to be nice, right? And, and by the way, we have to be nice too. I'm going to close with this thought. Um, Guys, everybody up here on this panel, I, I could have chosen at least 10 more people just out of this room, if not more, because so many of you are setting an example. Um, the other reason I couldn't have chosen more than that is I don't know you well enough. Um, but those of you I do know well, uh, whether you are regulars coming here or I've met you in other areas, I just want to say you guys are role models that I can follow. Um, not that you're that much older than me. Um, and Julie's not old. Julie, are you older than me? You are older than me, so I am the baby of this group. But here's what I want to say. It's not me that I'm worried about. It's my kids, right? It's the, the ones in their 20s and 30s now that I want to make sure they have role models 
because uh, we're not they're not surrounded like by their grandparents like they used to be right you guys don't get to see your grandkids as often and so instead of being the role models for your grandkids you're the role models for my kids and grandkids and everybody else is in the room and so thank you for that and let's give them a hand and then we'll dismiss you stage for what the rest of the year looks like really um, in terms of the truth series so next month we're going to be talking about retirement community living uh, a couple of them kind of referred to it Julie obviously works in that field and so but we're going to have some folks up here next month who are going to talk about living at retirement communities and what that's like for them not for the marketing people, but for the people who live there. We're going to have some folks talk about independent living, um, assisted living, and possibly nursing. I'm, that's still kind of up for debate due to the COVID situation, so we'll see how that plays out. Um, I also have a, a fellow colleague who's in real estate. Uh, Aisha, are you here? She was invited today. I don't know if she made it. No. So she has a residential care home here in Oklahoma City, uh, a house that is assisted living license, and she's gonna be here as well to visit with us. But we're just gonna go back and explore what what the community living is like for people who are living there. And so bring your questions next month. Uh, there should be a schedule on everyone's table of all of the upcoming seminars. And so uh, go ahead and put those on your calendar. And then here's your homework. Here's your homework. Remember, this isn't about just coming and sitting in. This is about doing something with the information. So you have a handout at your table that says action steps on it somewhere, right? It's a one-page white color handout. It doesn't look like this. It's got the same questions on it, but it says action items. And I would encourage you to fill it out and take some time to ask yourself, like, like you said about who said they were 88, and that it's her job to think about her mindset about being 88. Whatever age you are, whatever your driver's license or birth certificate says, ask yourself, what are some of the outdated or no longer beneficial messages that are playing in my mind that I can dismiss, like that I can reframe or change for myself? And then begin to think of ways on the second page of how to change those. And it might be who you're surrounding yourself with. It may be that you need to have a conversation with someone about it. Or it may just be that you need to do it on your own. It needs to be something in here that you click, right? Um, I tell in my psychology class, you know, of course, we're talking to 18 and 19-year-olds. And most 18, 19-year-olds have self-image issues. Would you all agree with that? Jerry, would you say, yeah, those educators in the room. And so I use the example of, you know, my mom, when I was standing in front of, she was standing in front of a mirror when I was a kid, probably six, seven years old, maybe eight, and she stood in front of a mirror and said, well, Nikki, I sure hope you don't get my thighs. Now, what do you think I see every time I look in the mirror? Mom, thanks for that, <laughs> right? And so now I have a self-image issue because of that seed that was planted at a very young age about what it meant to have what she thought were fat thighs. She was 130 pounds. She didn't have fat thighs, but in her mind she did, and that was the word she used. So what we say around young people is very, it matters. 
it matters and it sticks. And so uh, what are some of the things that you say around your kids, your grandkids, your neighbor kids that you could, you could change, you could reframe that would be beneficial for the next generation so that they don't have quite the same challenges that we have. And then um, last but not least, I love what Frank and, and uh, Marilyn both said about educating other people and uh, what opportunities do you have every single day to educate someone about what it's like to get older. Whatever older is to you, whether you're in your 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or on, doesn't matter, but what is that like? And what and what should they know, right? Educating people about it. This is the first time in history, you guys, the first time in history that there are people in their 80s and 90s and beyond that have the ability to teach this to the young people in droves. Now there's always been those outliers. We all have a family member that we know of that lived a long life. But guys, we have a room full. And so there's a certain amount of social responsibility, I think, to help groom the next generation to what this should look like and what it could look like, rather than being a default where people just go, okay, well this is what it is because I met this one person, right? So that's my message for you today. So hopefully that's an inspiring message and not a burdensome one. Um, because I think there's some pretty amazing people positioned in some pretty key places to do that. So thank you in advance for that. Um, see you next month. Uh, in the meantime, be sure and talk to our folks, our education partners. They've all got articles for you to pick up. And uh, be sure to say hi to a neighbor while you're here today. Thanks, guys.